Hi, this is Dr. Kimberly Leonard. I am the author of Visualizing Happiness in Every Area of Your Life and host of this podcast, Incredible Life Creator. And today, my guest is Miss Lisa Weiss. Lisa, in 1922, co-founded Birdwatch, a tech-powered, high-touch home maintenance service in Philadelphia and Washington, D.C., in her role as Chief Strategic Officer, Lisa brings substantial subject matter expertise to the work of Birdwatch, from scaling maintenance, building effective teams, driving growth, directing brand identity, culture, and marketing. She has successfully built and run companies that take care of thousands of residents in their homes. She can also fix toilets and paint without taping. <laughs> in 2022, Lisa Wise authored business book memoir, Self-Elected. How to Put Justice Over Profit and Soar in Business. Welcome to the podcast, Lisa. Thanks so much. Thanks for having me, Kimberly. Yes. So happy to have you after your very long day. So <laughs> we'll make this short and sweet, but just so people can get to know you. Um, tell me about you, how you started out, how you got to be doing all these different things. I was reading your LinkedIn. It's like extensive. <laughs> There's a lot going on on my LinkedIn um, and I have to pare it down, but I like lately I'm introducing myself as the bird lady uh, because I do have a lot of bird themed things going on in my life, which is not to say that I work in birds. It means that I have birds as my brand identity. I grew up all over the Western mountain States and had a fairly insecure life actually was very insecure life um, growing up and, and realized two things that if I wanted to build security um, that money was something that would help me get there. And I also learned that I was a natural born entrepreneur, but the, the common denominator there um, is that I'm really only interested in doing things if they benefit other people in addition to myself. So uh, I chose to pursue a life of abundance regardless, um, or, or even though I'd had a really hard upbringing, um, I wanted to do things for myself that could have an echo effect and help other people. And so Long story short, I found myself in a nonprofit environment for quite a long time, 15 years, and I enjoyed that work. And again, being a mission-oriented, justice-oriented person that clicked with what I wanted to achieve in life, but the entrepreneur in me was ever-present and I'd always had side hustles and things that would bring another measure of financial security to me. Obviously, nonprofits don't, they, they didn't pay terribly, but they didn't, you know, they, I wasn't going to become a wealthy, well-protected person financially working in a nonprofit environment. And I understood that and I was comfortable with it because I was pretty sh comfortable and successful in having adjacent businesses that helped to support things and build wealth. And that was buying property. So you can fast forward to 2008, just as the financial crisis started to unfold during the great recession, I thought I'm not really doing great work in terms of impact when it comes to the nonprofit environment. I think that there is a way for me to be more impactful if I actually start managing homes professionally. Um, I decided to start managing residential real estate uh, as I had been doing here and there as an armchair entrepreneur. And I just built a brand one property at a time. And that unfolded um, quite nicely. And the goal was really to study what property management was all about and then do the opposite because nobody likes their property manager or their property management company or you know any of the aspects. I mean, this is not to say there aren't good people in the industry, 
or that the industry writ large is not a valuable one. It means that it is outdated. It is not um, empathic and it puts profits ahead of people in place. Um, and that's more or less the way capitalism was designed. So there you go. I decided to build a company that did that differently. We put hospitality, community, staff, uh, everything above profit, frankly. And I believe um, that that was a more just business model and that it led to a greater um, degree of profitability overall, but with great impact. So fast forward from 2008 to now, um, for 14 years, I continued to grow that fam that brand and then build other brands. So I started with the Nest DC brand, which manages residential real estate and houses. Then I started Roost and Roost is an employee owned brand in our, in our flock um, that manages HOAs and condo associations. Then we started Starling, which takes care of our maintenance division. And then we have all kinds of other little birds because once you start with one bird, you can't go back. It's just a thing that becomes part of your, your own identity. And then fast forward and uh, our birds were confusing people. So we rolled them all up into one key identity, as a, 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 which is a flock, which is a family of birds, a number of birds of one kind. And so Flock DC became our parent company, um, ironically, after the babies were born. But that, I think, tidied things up in terms of our overall brand identity. And then um, in, in the course of the last few years, I've had a lot of people ask, listen, is there a way to offer your high touch um, values-based property management services to homeowners. And I thought for a long time, there was an application there. Um, and then ultimately said, yeah, let's go ahead and try this. We were piloting Birdwatch, which was one another bird we'd created. And that product was really designed to help homeowners um, have a landlord-like contact and partner so that when something went wrong, they could just call us. Um, that was very, it was in its infancy as we established that pilot. And then one thing kind of led to another. I met two gentlemen who were very versed in both technology and growing companies from a like local to inter international in scale. And they had been thinking about running a similar kind of company. And we ended up um, coming together with our skills and we formed a, an entirely new identity and company and that is called Birdwatch. And Birdwatch is active in uh, Philadelphia and Washington, D.C. And my flock family of companies is active in Washington, D.C. proper. We manage $2.5 billion in real estate. And we have uh, thousands and thousands of, of homes that we tend to. And in Birdwatch, we, man we manage, we work with over 500 homeowners now. And we've been in business for 14 months. Wow. Congratulations. Thank you. So I'm more um, really interested in how you do this high touch, but high tech with all these different houses and housing developments. Well, um, the goal for us has been from the early days and we've not always been successful, but we've always been um, intentional about asking ourselves, is there a smarter, faster, or better way of doing something? And if there is, you need, you need to stop what you're doing now and go pursue that. Now, easier said than done, but there have been, you know, having been, been in business for 14 years, it's easy for me to reflect back and think, oh my God, we used to print leases out. Um, and once, and we got to DocuSign before anybody else did, 
but now everybody's in DocuSign. So, so, which means there's something else that's been developed to make another part of my job easier. And it's very hard when you're entrenched in an industry um, or a work environment for a period of time because life moves on without you staying up to speed because you don't need to, because you're in more of a silo professionally. And it was, it was and continues to be always somewhat of a challenge to say, are we leveraging this tool or that tool? Um, are we as efficient as possible? And as long as we're tending to the efficiency of our business design, then objectively what we want to do is, is leave as much time and room as possible to lean into the human experience and then back on the technology and efficiencies. Um, that helps us take better care of our team members because it gives them more wins. It reduces mistakes. It elevates our humanity and empathy as a company. And that's part of our currency. Beautiful. And then um, something I was reading in your bio, if you would share it, um, how you're helping certain populations to actually buy a house. I would like to hear more about that. Yeah, absolutely. So when George Floyd was murdered in 2020, um, our company at that time and continues to be deeply invested in conversations about being anti-racist as a company, not just even an advocate for Black Lives Matter, but intentionally, authentically thinking about what it means for us to create an environment, both from a workplace perspective, a community perspective, a housing perspective, to create more parity and equity and, and a more just uh, world going forward. And, and made uh, a point of, and continue to do so, to talk about and think about the role real estate has played in creating housing injustice and the racial housing injustice that has defined how our real estate industry has unfolded from, uh, and I know we're all familiar with because there must've been some unit in school every single person took, but we all understand redlining and that is the least of it, to be frank. That's just what we're aware of. You can go deep into even why homeowner associations exist exclusively, or they are originated to actually keep black members Black community members from being in those neighborhoods, from zoning laws to those uh, predatory covenants to predatory lending to appraisal bias to, um, you know, to, to redlining. And it just, it goes on and on and on and on. And, uh, and then we find people of color uh, more susceptible to health risks because they're adjacent to um, toxic waste dumps because that's where zoning allows for higher density living. Zoning and the amount of land that any single family home has in a lot of communities is totally unreasonable. You don't need that much land. <laughs> you just don't. Like the dogs and the kids can play in a pretty, a pretty reasonable amount of space. That doesn't mean that you can't have neighbors near you. Um, and those, the, the density was a, not a function of need. It was a function of exclusivity. Um, most people are not aware of that. And it has not um, occurred to people to really pursue that education because we've never been encouraged to. And that is understandable, but I made it a point to ask myself, well, wow, what am I supposed to do? I'm benefiting from an industry that has just destroyed lives. Um, and the opportunity to build wealth, which we should, as Americans, because we are a just democracy, so to speak, should be entitled to, and yet has been kept from people. And I thought, oh, geez, there's something, I have to do something about this. And so we decided to um, develop a foundation called the Birdseed Foundation. And Birdseed is intended to offer people uh, who are part of the BIPOC community uh, a, a, Black, <laughs> Black Indigenous people of color, 
Um, some people could refer to um, giving grants to black and brown applicants. And candidly, there are a lot of differences of opinion around how you want to use language in this sense. And we do what we think is best in terms of language. And we absolutely understand that we may not get be getting that right for everyone. But the intention is simple. We want those who have been excluded from um, the home buying process from an equity perspective that we are as a company, as a foundation, trying to find this, even the smallest pathway to saying that wasn't right. And we might not have originated that problem, but we're not, if we're not solving it, we may as well be. And so uh, the Birdseed Foundation launched in um, 2021. And uh, the idea was very simple that we give uh, first time down payment grants to black and brown home buyers uh, with very, um, the idea is that this is a streamlined and a simplified process insofar as we want people to be able to apply simply within an hour um, and then find out fairly quickly whether they are going to receive that grant. And then it's released at closing. And the only obligation is that they send a photo. There's no repayment. There's no report. There's no class taking. There's no qualifications. Um, it's a very intentionally simple process because when you think about it, a lot of people that look like you and me, Kimberly, have a grandparent or a relative or a family member who helped them get to that home ownership place. And when we as a society have systemically excluded people from that opportunity by not giving them places to buy in the first place, then there's something to be done about evening that out. And so I've chosen as a business owner to say, that's my obligation and responsibility. And we raised our hand and said, we're going to do this work and we hope people follow our, our, um, our path. I, I love that. It's just so beautiful. So thank you for doing that. that is yeah, absolutely. So throughout this thread of everything I've read about you and what we've talked about, this really strong feeling about justice mission about justice where do you think that came from um you know growing up with housing insecurity just um it underscored what it's like to be vulnerable and i don't want that for anyone and i also understood that my vulnerability was sort of nothing compared to others that i had a certain number of advantages that came with just being um where i was born to whom i was born and um and what i looked like when i was born um, and that there were certain things that, that people, it is just not up to you. And yet we're punishing people for that, or we're excluding them for that. And I, I saw that really early on in life. Um, and once again, like, I also understood that being thoughtful, kind, and generous was likely the best way to create relationships and be liked and, you know, and to make a difference in the world. So I was like, Oh, I like this. This actually gives me energy. So that dopamine rush, like what juices you in life, it could be the petting dogs and taking care of animals or like protecting nature or whatever that is, what, where you find that part in yourself where like, this feels right and good. It was all about sharing. <laughs> um, and uh, seeing that moment when you can say, Oh, I did something that made this person happier or better off um, was really intuitive for me and became more and more pronounced as I got older and more successful. Um, and I did a lot of things I wasn't great at and I would study them and say, okay, well, I'm actually great at business and I should just do that. That's okay. I had a lot of shame around having things other people didn't <laughs> because the abundance mindset um, came 
naturally to me, but I felt like having something for myself that wasn't equalized somehow felt unreasonable. Um, so justice to me, running a company and being successful has been my way of giving back. Um, and to say, we all deserve an opportunity. And if I can do and create a business that offers opportunity, then like, that's just, that's a dream come true for me. Yeah. And I love that because the thing is, um, you can say, well, I'm humble. I don't make any money, whatever, but you can't help anyone. If you don't make money, you actually can't even be of help if you don't have enough money to take care of yourself. Yes. Um, you know, put your oxygen mask on first. I know that was a popular reference and metaphor during the pandemic, but um, I, I have conversations often um, with different partnerships that we do with other aligned partners and, and businesses. And I'll, do, I'll come in and do presentations with their leadership around um, who we are as businesses, why we do what we do. Um, the bird watch company that is my most recent entity is a public benefits corporation. So we codified language around wanting to be a socially just company that helps people pursue, um, home ownership. And 1% of our profits are designed to go to housing justice programs with birdseed being primary recipient, not the exclusive recipient, but the primary recipient, because I wanted to bake sustainability into the nonprofit because I'm, I mean, asking for money all the time is no fun, but earning it is really a good time to be honest. So um, this helps me earn and give. It's just a pathway to earn and give. And it's part of the company fabric. And I think it makes companies better to do so. Um, but I've had people in those presentations say, well, what about the elderly? <laughs> I, I know. I Yes. <laughs> um, I need to make money to make a difference. So if I'm spending all my energy meeting the needs of everyone within the housing environment, then I am not a business. Um, and if I'm not a business and I'm not successful, then I can't, I can't reallocate my resources to things that really matter. So let me stay in my lanes. I have this business lane and I do that very well. And I have this no strings attached grant lane, which nobody in the country does. Let's do that and do it really well. And we will give visibility to and applaud and support all the people that are filling in all the other needs, but I can't do all the things. So please help me be successful as a business because it will pay off. It will pay dividends. Um, but, but I, I am not responsible for all the things I would like to be responsible for solving those problems, but there's, you know, you have to decide what you can do and do it well and stick to it. Um, and not in part, because I think people who are values-based tend to really want to, um, there there's it, looking at money as a pejorative, right? Like, Ooh, there's sort of a stain to being, having money. And I get that because I had that, that value system for a long time. It's odd for me as someone who, is a natural born capitalist to really lean so left. I could, I'm like social capitalism over here because I think, you know, healthcare, education, um, and housing should be a human right, a basic human right. Um, uh, you don't need granite countertops, but if you have a place to live that's safe, if you can educate yourself and if you're sick, you get care, then if you don't succeed in the world, I could be as mad as you, as I could judge you all day long. Um, because those were choices you made, but when your choices, do I eat <laughs> or do I, it, how are you expecting people to get ahead when some basics are met? And we have plenty to do that for everybody too, which is what bothers me. And then for still people to be right, like everybody can have all the things. If we just sort of sat down and said, well, what's a more reasonable allocation here? And I get to do that in business. So I can say to my staff, 
and, and you know, people will read my book and, and read, I've given all the profits each year to my staff, all of it. I didn't take profits from the company. I take a salary, um, but I own the company. And I think everybody every year by giving them the profits because they're earning the annual profits. And if they do a great job and the value of my company grows, and that's a, that's a, that is a thank you to them for doing what they did for me. Um, that's abundance. Abundance feels great. <laughs> Scarcity <Sure>. feels terrible. <laughs> right. So you're abundant and you're helping the people around you to be abundant. That's what, what, what I mean. a better scenario. Yeah. So, yeah. So you mentioned your book. So tell us about your book and, uh, and I'm sure people would like to read it and hear your story. Yeah. So my book is called Self-Elected, How to Put Justice Over Profit and Soar in Business. So that had to get a little bird theme in there. Um, it's part memoir. It's part uh, what are what are the elements of a socially just business and a few ideas around how to think about business from a, a socially just perspective, just operationally, like what would it look like if a dry cleaner was socially just? It doesn't need to be that hard. It's not, it doesn't have to be a big lift. It can be something very small. It can be completely intertwined in your business model, but it's something we can all participate in both as consumers um, in our demand and as businesses in our ability to fulfill a social need while being profitable and successful. Um, and, and it articulates in the end, like what is the political economy? Why do we need this kind of business in order to see a more just and equitable future where we both can, we can all enjoy a planet and each other. Um, if we don't work together, we're not gonna get there. And I say this often and I can't say it often enough, people trust business owners more than politicians. And I ask myself, then what then is my responsibility as a business owner to do what's right for this world? And so I self-elect as a business owner to say, how do I leverage my business for a greater good? And every day I come with that orientation. And the book is really a, an overview of like, how did, how did I find myself with that value system? How did I apply that value system to business? And why do I believe that having done so is the best thing for everyone? Um, and so that's what the book is about. And um it, it it was I I am surprised at how much I really enjoyed the writing of the book. Um, and you'll learn if you're you'll learn why that is true in part because I got a really mediocre. No, I I'm gonna scratch that strike through. I got a bad education. <laughs> um, I moved twenty three times before I made it to college, so they wave you. They're like, well, you had PE. So that's good for art history, right? And for art or his or math or whatever it was. I'm like, I guess you count jumping jacks. Sure. I mean, uh -huh. it wasn't, um, it did not prepare me for a lot. The gritty factor did, but, um, I decided to take that origin story. And even though life is still hard as a result of that origin story and to do as much as I could with it for others. So that is my story. You can read all about my businesses and my birds and all my quirky stories in the book. Um, and I hope people get a chance to really like take a look at how we've, we've been able to fuse everything together and try and create a better world. We hope to keep doing the same thing. Yeah. So if people wanted to get your book or connect with you, um, share any websites or your bird seed um, yeah. program. <laughs> All the birds, birds, birds. Um, <laughs> you can find me at meetlisawise.com. You can just pop me in the uh, Google bar and like all my famous dreams have come true. You can find me on the first search and you'll see the, the book or one of my companies and you can kind of track me there. You can find me on LinkedIn. 
where I have like a 5,000 page resume, (laughs) which included overnight DJ. I actually had to take that off. At some point you're like, nobody cares what I did in college. In fact, they don't even care where I went to college anymore. (laughs) Uh, Somebody asked me recently for my resume. I was like, nope. (laughs) And never again. (laughs) Like there will be no more resumes for me for the rest of my life. Thank you. Unless someone else wanted to write one. So um, that is the privilege of working for 20 hours a day even when you turn 50 is that I don't have to write a resume. (laughs) That is a wonderful thing. So just a personal question. What gives you the most happiness and fulfillment in your life at this point? My son, Beckett. Um, I have a lovely kind. um, I think really, I mean, we all think this is parents, but a one of a kind human in my life. And um, I was a reluctant parent after coming through pretty, my own tricky background. And I get to raise a little boy who is safe and loved and understands that and is thriving and he is compassionate and warm and he's curious and he cares about the world. And I have the privilege of being his friends and his mom. And I hope, um, I hope to stay a, a solid person in his life. And I love knowing that we made him and we hope and want the very best for him. And I don't have any expectations for what he owes me. He's just here to be the best version of himself. And I want him to be really happy and contribute to that. Oh, that's wonderful. So thank you so much for being on the podcast today and for, you know, working at the ninth hour here. <laughs> I did okay, right? You did, did, I make any, did I make any sense? <laughs> you did, you did. So I just have one last question before we get off. What's your best advice on living an incredible, amazing life? Listen to learn, not to talk. Beautiful. All right. Well, thank you so much, Lisa. Kimberly, thank you so much. I appreciate the conversation. And um, I'm sorry I had to abbreviate our time together, but I really enjoyed this half an hour. It was a great way to tap up, like cap off the night. It sure was. Okay. Well, thank you so much. And we'll talk to you again soon. Awesome. Have a good one, Kimberly.